about the um, mission trip with the Dominican Republic and they told us about Rudy and how he was building a school for um, the kids in the Dominican Republic which don't really get food um, that often because they they don't have very much money and um, their parents can't leave their kids alone. Y empezamos lo que es una pequeña escuelita. Empezamos con con cuatro niños dentro de mi casa. Después empezamos con doce niños un año después. Después empezamos con treinta y dos niños. Después cincuenta y dos niños. Después ochenta y cinco niños. I felt like I should really make a difference in that. I should help out as well. I went home. My dad, and we decided to go to the store and grab some supplies to do the lemonade stand. Um, this is all the money I got for the Dominican Republic and how that they're building um, a school and they're trying to finish it. And if Rudy gets the money for the land, then he can make a cafeteria. And if he makes a cafeteria, he'll get funds for food for the students in the Dominican Republic. I really hope that this will make an impact on the Dominican Republic and it will really help out. Ahora entre 110, 125, algo así para este próximo año, Dios ha bendecido nuestra vida. Mi esposa y yo hemos adoptado una sola visión y es de que las personas y la gente de la comunidad eh, conozcan a Cristo como nosotros lo hemos conocido. I felt really happy that I was able to do it and that I made a difference. It's important to help and give because even though it may not seem you're making a big difference to your opinion, it really does make a big difference. Um, and it might inspire more people to help out as well. Hey, can we give it up for Emma? Come on, can we give it up for Emma? Yeah. It's powerful stuff. She is a, an example to us all. Hey, did you know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month? How about that, huh? Saw it on Facebook. Yep. So I just want to thank you all for the gifts that I haven't received, right? They get you. Where'd Ed go? Ed, Ed leave? Left me hanging, man. See if y'all got Ed anything, because I ain't got anything. I'm just kidding. Kind of. Um, so October's Pastor Appreciation Month. The funny thing is, October is also traditionally when pastors talk about financial stewardship, which means that October quickly becomes Pastor Depreciation Month, right? right? Now, we are in a series called Lock and Key, and we're, we're talking about our heart posture towards, towards our finances, towards our resources, towards towards our money, right? And those two things are related. A good indicator of the health of our heart is the health of our finances. I mean, I've, I've heard it said that if you want to know what somebody worships, you only have to look in two places, the calendar and their bank account, because we always have time and money for the things that matter most to us. Now, here's a little secret for you. This is actually the first message I've ever preached on financial stewardship, right? I got to be honest, I think it's hilarious that I'm even up here doing this. And here's why. Let me explain. In my mind, there are two types of people in the world as it relates to Halloween candy, right? 
On the one hand, you've got the bingers, right? These are the people who, if they're lucky, their candy's going to last like a week and a half. Bingers, raise your hand. Where you at? Come on. Come on. Nobody? Really? Oh, a bunch of liars. Yeah. Yes. Parents, you count too. The ones that eat your kids' candy? Yeah, that counts. Yeah. So there's bingers. Then on the other hand, you have the hoarders, right? These are the people who like ration out their candy so much so that it actually combines with their Easter candy. And so they, they never run out. They've always got candy. You don't have to raise your hand because we know who you are, right? We can tell. You give it away, right? Any idea which one I am? I'm a binger. I'm a classic binger. I mean, I'd come home from trick-or-treating with like a half-empty pail of candy. Parents would be like, where's all the candy at? But like, they were just really stingy this year. I don't know. All the while, like, wrappers are falling out of my costume everywhere, right? Now, apparently, what was true for me about my relationship with candy, Halloween candy, is also true for me about my relationship with money. I was a mess. A mess. And I can honestly say this is one of the places in my life where I have experienced in such a very real, such a very tangible way, the healing, the transformation of God as it relates to my relationship with money. I believe the gospel's good news for every area of our life, including our finances. And I can imagine there are people in here who need to hear some good news. Now, I'll be honest, these are not easy messages to prepare for, let alone to share. I mean, this, this message is going to feel like a warm, fuzzy punch in the gut. You're welcome, Right? No, it's been working on me all along, and I really am doing this from a place of love. So I hope we can still be friends afterwards. Can we try that? It's Pastor Appreciation Month, right? <laughs> um, but really what I want to do more than anything is, is sort of lay out for you a piece of my story. I'm going to just kind of lay it out there, right? A lot of it's embarrassing. I'm not super proud of it. But I can say that I am not who I used to be. God's changed me. God's changed me so much. So I'm going to offer it to you in the hopes that it'll encourage you where you need to be encouraged, but also challenge you where you need to be challenged. All right? So with that being said, I'd love for us to go to the Lord in prayer one more time just so he'll grant us a posture of humility, openness to hear what he has to say to us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your spirit just to fall fresh on every single person in this room, myself included. Lord, I pray that you open us up Lord, allow us to, uh, to really hear what you have to say. Lord, soften us, challenge us, rescue us, particularly as it relates to what we do with what we've been given. We thank you for your son, Jesus. He is our example. He is our savior. He's everything. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 26, it's such an interesting passage to me. There's so many things going on here, but this, this passage is, is coming at the tail end of this really long teaching that Moses is giving to the people. Now, he's teaching them about the tithe. I mean, how do you like that? My first stewardship sermon, and I'm going straight for like the most controversial topic, right? The one that everybody loves to hear about, the tithe. I want you to know, I've, I've struggled with that most of my life. In fact, I even remember when I was a little kid, I'd go to church with my parents, and it came time for the kids to like go to their classes and my parents would always give me like a little bit of money to put in the offering plate because they would pass it during Sunday school too. Great idea. Um, and so I'm in class. They pass the offering plate. Comes time to put the money my parents gave me. I wouldn't put it in the plate. I'd just keep it. Go buy a bunch of Bazooka Joe bubblegum, right? So, so me and tithing haven't always lined up, right? It's difficult. It's hard. But I think there's so much going on in this passage in Deuteronomy 26. Really, really neat stuff. So let's go to it. Chapter 26. Notice how it begins in verse 1. Moses says to the people, now keep in mind, this is taking place after the Exodus event. Y'all remember that, right? Exodus event, 
This is when Charleston Heston, Moses, right? Moses leads the people out of Egypt, right? They're in slavery there under Pharaoh. Moses comes in. He leads them out. They walk through the Red Sea. This is after that. In fact, this is the second generation since that happened, right? The first generation has died in the wilderness after wandering around for 40 years. The people that Moses is teaching this to is their children, right? And here's what he says to them, starting off in verse Verse 1 of 26, when you have entered the land, the Lord is, your God is giving you. When you have entered the land, y'all say when. When. When you have entered the land. So tell me, where are they right now? They're still wondering. Are they in the land? No. They aren't in the land yet. So at this point, they are still a wandering bunch of ragtag refugees. That's who they are. With barely anything to their name. I mean, sure, they have some spoils that they took from the Egyptians, but that was 40 years ago. 40 years ago, and thousands of miles of wandering around the wilderness. So at this point, when God is teaching them about the tithe, about setting aside a portion of whatever increase that comes their way, do they have much at all? No. They don't have very much at all. And yet God is still instructing them right now, before they, before they ever enter the land, about being generous, about setting aside a portion of whatever gain comes their way to honor him and to help the least of these. I find that so fascinating to me that God would do that. You can see, because you see, God knows that it's not always going to be like this, is it? That eventually they're going to enter the land, aren't they? When they get there, they're going to settle it. When they settle the land, they're going to grow crops. They're going to grow vineyards. They're going to raise livestock. You know what? They're going to produce fruit. They're going to become successful. They're even going to grow wealthy. And God knows that if they aren't careful, they're going to find themselves enslaved to a new master, greed, to consumption, to impulse, to this insatiable need for more. Now, I think it's safe to say that we in our culture, we know a thing or two about that, don't we? Wouldn't you agree? I feel like in our part of the world during our day and age, you know what? It's so easy for us to have way more than we need, but to still never have enough. I'm going to say that again. I think it's easy for us in our day and age, in our part of the world, to have way more than we need, but to still feel like we never have enough. Am I right? Am I speaking to the right people here? Yeah? In fact, I read this really interesting article based on a study, and, they, and it found, this is, this is now, this is recent, that people, 50% of people, so half, half of the people who make between $100,000 and $150,000, they still live paycheck to paycheck. They have less than $1,000 in any sort of savings account. One researcher even said, it's obvious from the statistics, the research, that the more you earn in the United States, the more you spend. Right? So people, I'm telling you, $100,000 to $100,000, that sounds like plenty enough money. Wouldn't you agree? To make ends meet. People still live in paycheck to paycheck. So the question is, where does, where does that money go, right? What do we spend it on? Well, let me tell you. Some more stats. Is that okay? I know we love statistics. This is interesting to me, though. The average American household consists of 2.58 people. Not sure how that works, Right? Got a half person running around. It's great. Two and a half people. The average home in the United States has three working TVs. Think about that for a second. The houses in our country have more TVs than people. Somebody's like, well, it makes perfect sense. I'm not watching The Bachelor on Monday night, right? Well, I get that, but it's kind of ludicrous, right? We have more TVs than we have people in our homes. Same time, 25% of us, I, I think it's way more than this, 25% of us who have two car garages, we don't have enough room in our garages to park our cars. You're laughing because that's you. That was me too. I lived in Ohio, negative 20 degrees during the winter, right? Two feet of snow. Guess where my cars were parked? 
in the driveway because my garage was full of what? Stuff. Not only that, then a lot of us, we, we have so much stuff, our garage is full, so we have to rent a storage unit. There is an industry in the United States that makes millions, millions of dollars every year keeping our junk because we have so much stuff, right? And then keep that in mind, over the past 50 years, the American home has tripled in size. Tripled. But we don't got enough room for all our junk, right? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Here's what's crazy. Every year there's more money spent on fashion accessories, things like jewelry, watches, shoes. There's more money spent on that every year than college tuition. <laughs> and the average American throws out about 65 pounds of clothes every year. Now this one, this one got me a little bit. It's like, oh. Found the average American child accumulates 238 toys by the time that they are 10 years old, but they only consistently play with 12 of them. They're like, I know. It's weird. It's crazy. And then this is one for us all to consider too. And Every year, Americans, so we throw out 40% of our food, 40%, or roughly $165 billion of food is wasted. Where's the money going? It seems like a good bit of it is going to stuff that we don't actually need. I mean, I think just because we aren't in bondage to some oppressive ruler who wears a funny hat, it's Pharaoh, right? We know what it's like to be enslaved to things like greed, Envy, keeping up with everybody else. Man, how much of our money goes to that? Feeling like we got to look the part, right? Everybody else has got that. I better have that too. I drive a 2000 Volkswagen Jetta. It's white. It was my wife's car before we got married. You know what I call it? The wife mobile. Can you tell you how many times I pull up next to the stoplight and these guys look over at me thinking it's a girl? And I'm like, I'll be honest with you, I'm insecure when I drive that car because not many people drive a car like that around here. Y'all feel something like that too somewhere, don't you? Some sort of insecurity, right? Because what you have doesn't seem to measure up to what everybody else has. So how much, how much of our resources, our money, goes to that sort of thing, right? We know what that's like to live with this sense of bondage to things like impulse, consumption, greed, envy. And the scariest thing is where you and I, where we get the money to pay for all this stuff. Because we usually use money we don't have. It's called credit. Am I right? Credit. I mean, the average American household, you know what, has $15,000 for their consumer debt. Average, $15,000. So that's, that's how we live. Where do we get the money to buy all the stuff we don't need? We just borrow it, right? We put it on a, on a credit card. I've heard it said, you know, in our part of the world, there's two ways to improve your quality of living, all right? The first one is you can work and you can save for it. Or... You can just charge it, put on a credit card. And somebody said it like this, one is fast, one is slow. One brings peace and the other brings whoa, right? Wasn't that cute? That's pretty cute. But the honest truth is this, listen, debt is a form of bondage. It's a form of bondage. And I know we can get into particulars. You're talking about, you're talking about school loan debt, you're talking about housing debt. We don't got time to get into all that. The bottom line is debt is bondage. It's slavery. In fact, Proverbs 22 says it very, very clearly. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Slave to the lender. In fact, earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 15, when Moses is teaching people, God's speaking them through Moses. I love what he says to them. God says this, listen, if you lean in to my way, if you live life 
on my terms. You do things the way that I'm telling you to do them right now. If you live that way, it's going to go well for you. You're going to be blessed. Life's going to be good. I mean, so much so that you will be in position. You will be in position to actually lend to many nations. You'll have that much excess. And you won't have to borrow from anybody. That's what God says to the people. So tell me, according to that, which position is the better one to be in? To be able to lend to people or to borrow from people? Which one's better? To be able to lend, right? If you're having to borrow from somebody, then that's usually an indicator that things aren't going so well for you, right? And you will need to borrow. What's so crazy to me is our culture has completely reversed that. Flipped it upside down. So people come to you. How many, how many emails or how many pieces of mail do you get every year offering you a credit card, right? Our culture comes to us and says, hey, listen, because things have been going so well for you, you've got all this credit, you got a job, I'll tell you what we're going to let you do. We're going to let you act like somebody for whom things haven't been going well, and you can borrow a whole bunch of money you don't actually have. Isn't that great? And the thing is, it didn't always used to work like this. Believe it or not, I'm old enough to remember layaway. How many of y'all remember layaway? Come on now. Yeah? Remember how that worked? I remember this. Like you wanted to buy something. So let's say you wanted to get a new cell phone, right? And you wanted to buy it. You go to the store. You say, I want to buy that cell phone. Here's $100. Do me a favor. Take it in the back. Keep it there for me. I'll bring you $50 a week until I pay for it. And then once I pay for it, I'm going to take it home. And it'll be mine, right? Can you imagine trying to do that today? You crazy? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to wait? I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll lend you the money right now. You can have the phone right now. Doesn't that sound great? Don't mind the interest payment on it. How much it's going to actually cost you. Just take the phone. You can have it now. The thing about layaway, as crazy as that might sound to some of us, by the time you'd make the final payment on something that was on layaway, guess what? It was still new. It's like brand new. Especially to you, right? Now, the way we do it with, with credit cards is debt, right, and, and, and credit. By the time we make the final payment on something, we don't even know where it is anymore. It's in that storage unit, right? It's down in the basement. We gave it away to a relative for a white elephant gift, or we ate it, right? By the time you make the final payment, it's old, right? By the time you pay it off, you see debt, hear me when I say this, debt is a form of bondage where you and I, we mortgage our future to pay for our past. I'll say it again. We mortgage our future to pay for our past. Let me show you how this works. I'm going to cough. I'm getting over a cold right now. So which means I'm coughing. And when you have a microphone strapped to your face, that's bad news for you. So you all cover your ears. There we go. I muted my mic too. So you're welcome. Check this out. If a family goes to Disney World, how many parents have been to Disney with their kids? Is it as awful as I hear it is? Some of you are like, it was amazing. Other of you are like, never do that ever, right? <laughs> it's miserable. Whatever, we haven't done it yet, thinking about it. But at average cost, if you're a family of four and you go to Disney for a week, the average cost is about $6,000. I'm talking about travel, talking about food, talking about lodging, getting into the park. And some of you, I understand, you're like professional Disney goer. You know all the tricks. You're like, I could do it for half that. Good for you. I'm talking to novices, all right? It's people who have really never done it before. 6000 bucks is what this trip costs. Now, if you were to charge this, put on a credit card. As of this past week, the average interest payment on a credit card is 15%. It's actually 15.7% interest on a credit card, right? So you charge this whole trip. Now, if you're like most Americans, that means you are only going to pay the minimum balance on your credit card every single month. So most, most Americans do that. Do you have any idea how long it will take you to pay off this trip? Don't put it up there yet. Don't put it up there. Guess. How many of y'all think it'll take you, 
more than 20 years? Raise your hand. More than 40 years? Really? It would take you more than 100 years to pay it off. Y'all think I'm crazy? Talk to Nate Gibson back there. He can check the numbers for you. 100 years to pay this off. You pay the minimum payment every single month on a credit card with 15% interest. That's how long it will take you to pay that off. So by the time your great-grandkids are ready to go to Disney, well done, right? Now, here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing about it. You know how much that trip would end up costing you? A trip that was $6,000, if you pay it off that way, ends up costing you $22,000. Can we just call this what it is? It's crazy. But this is how most people right now live their lives. It's upside down. It's backwards. It's slavery. It's bondage. I mean, why is it that some of you out there have six-figure salaries, but you're barely making it? You got nothing to show for it. It's because it's easy in our part of the world to have way more than we need, but never have enough. It's because we're in bondage to things like greed, impulse, consumption, the sense that we have to have more than we think we do. And so we have God here before the people ever enter the land, before they ever get anything, instructing them to set one-tenth, the first fruit of whatever gain comes their way. They're going to set it aside, not for consumption, for impulse, or for greed, but their first action over whatever increase comes their way is to actually move in the other direction. Not because God needs it, but because he wants to help make sure they stay free. They don't just trade one slave master for the other. I believe wholeheartedly, you know what the tithe is about? It's not about me trying to guilt trip you into something so we can keep the lights on here. No, I believe it's an opportunity for us to experience real freedom because that's my story. That's my story. Man, growing up, there was always anxiety around money from like as early as I can remember. I remember being six years old, being worried, praying myself to sleep at night that my parents would find enough money to pay bills because it just seemed like there was always this anxiety around it. And there really shouldn't have been because both of my parents worked. I was an only child. Right? But we were a classic example. We had way more than we needed, but there was never enough. Never enough. So there's always this sort of anxiety. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? Not in your stomach. Man, slavery. And we developed some bad habits. Talked to my mom about this last week. She'd tell you the same thing. God has done a great work in her life as well when it comes to this, but we developed bad habits. I mean, I can even remember like in high school, my parents would give me my, my lunch money for the week. I think it was like 20 bucks or something like that. And I was money to cover my lunch for the whole week. Well, I happened to be dating this girl who like lived out of town. So she had a long distance phone number. And so you remember back then, right? What I would do is I'd take that $20 as soon as I got it and I'd go buy a prepaid calling card. I'm going like way back now. Right? Like you, got, you got layaway, prepaid calling cards. Remember those, right? On a rotary phone, right? Prepaid calling card. So I would, I didn't want that, you know, our long distance phone call showing up on our my parents' phone bill, right? And so at lunch in high school, I was the mooch. I had no money. It was already gone. And so I'd walk, hey, you got a quarter? You got a quarter bar? You got a quarter bar? Scrounge together enough money so I could buy like that square pizza, right? Remember with, with the yucky pepperonis, like, whatever it was, right? But that's how I remember, I remember all this anxiety around it. I had bad habits and it only got worse as I got older. I remember when I was in college, my first two years, I went to Purdue University in Indiana, big school, and I had, a, I had a job working at this nice restaurant really close to the campus. It was really busy. Bottom line is I made good money for a college student, but I never knew where it went because there was never enough. I remember overdrafting all the time. I'm going to check it out, right? And I remember this one day, it got so bad 
that I had to, I, I scrounged through my couch. I moved out and was living in this one bedroom apartment. It was a bad idea. I was 19 years old, wasn't ready for it. I lived in this one bedroom apartment. Of course, back then I thought I was, right? I got this. Had no money. Coming to the end of the month, time to make my rent payment. I had to dig through my couch and look through my car to find a dollar and 35 cents money so I could put it into my checking account so that my rent payment wouldn't bounce for the third time and I'd be kicked out of my apartment. You imagine putting, going to the bank and needing to deposit a dollar 35 in your account. How humiliating that was, how embarrassing that was. It only got worse as I got older. I remember graduating from Bible college, didn't have a job yet, right? But I had a credit card, had a Visa card, and they were gladly to up my, whatever my, you know, how much I could put on my card. So much so by the time I graduated, I had over $5,000 on my credit card. I had a belt card, a gap card, and I regularly overdrafted all the time. I'd pay the minimum payment on that Visa card. It's like 20 bucks. And then as soon as that check cleared, guess what I did with the Visa card? I used the $20 on something, right? How many of you can relate to this? I mean, this, this is how I lived my life. Never had enough. Always a sort of anxiety. Then I met my wife, my future wife, Lindsay, hubba hubba. Seriously, hubba hubba. But when I, we got to know each other, I quickly realized she didn't work like this. This wasn't how she lived. In fact, go back to the Halloween candy thing, right? She was a classic hoarder. I mean, hoard on steroids. Like, like I still believe now, you can go to her parents' house where she grew up, and you'll still find little Ziploc baggies of Halloween candy somewhere around there, right? That's not how she functions. She budgets stamps every month. Seriously. So that's how she functions, right? And so I got to know her. I was like, ooh, this doesn't look so good. And I remember doing premarital counseling. We were engaged. I was living in Ohio at the time, and she was down here, and we had to do premarital counseling long distance. We were reading these books. And I, and I was reading this book, and I, I, they pointed out, you know, the number one stressor on our marriages in the first couple of years, or really probably forever, you know what it is? Money. Money, 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 right? And the two weeks leading up to our wedding, I overdrafted by over $300 each month. 300 bucks. At the time, I was on salary at a church, wasn't getting paid a ton of money, but I made more than enough, right, for a single guy in an apartment by himself. There's no reason why I should be overdrafting $300. But here's the thing. Ask me where the money went. I don't know. I have no idea. In fact, I was really good at spending it before I even got it, which is why it's $300 overdrafted every month. And so there was this night, y'all, I'm just telling you. You ever just get sick of yourself? I remember thinking, man, I'm crazy about her, but I don't like where this thing's headed. This is not going to be good. And so I made a decision that night. I said, enough's enough. I'm tired of this. I remember looking back over my parents' life and how they live, and I said, I'm not doing that. They don't want me to do that. I'm done. So I made a decision that night. I wasn't going to be in slavery anymore. And I went and I took a bunch of stuff that I didn't need to a pawn shop. For some reason, I had three digital cameras. This was before your cell phone was, had a really nice digital camera, right? They were expensive. Why in the world did I have three digital cameras? Took all of them to a pawn shop, took a bunch of stuff to a pawn shop, sold it all, got enough money to kind of make up for the difference for that overdraft, took all my credit cards, I cut them up, and then here's what I did. I believe this was the moment when it became real for me. I had a form, I printed it off, I filled it out. It was a form to have my tithe automatically withdrawn from my paycheck. It's gone. You don't even have to think about it. It's gone. And I'm going to tell you something. That moment, since then, I can say this 100% confidently, I have never experienced anxiety when it comes to my finances again. Has it been easy? No. We lived on one income for a long time. But my, when we got married, my wife, put, put, she put, whipped me in shape. She got us on a budget. Thank God for wives. Can I get an amen to that? 
She got, we, we attacked that debt, and I am really proud of this. This was a, as a youth pastor on one salary. We paid off over $40,000 of the debt in five years. You can clap for that. I think you probably should. But, but hear me when I say this. I'm not trying to guilt trip you into tithing because we need it to keep the life. No. Can I tell you something? That decision to do that is the moment of liberation for me. That's when I became free because here's why. I was a slave to impulse. Man, I'd buy things that I didn't need. I'd just buy it. I was a slave to impulse. You asked me where my money went. I couldn't tell you. I didn't know. I probably ate most of it, right? Going out to eat all of them, whatever it was. Slave to impulse. But then when I made the decision, I'm going to tithe. No, instead, you know what? The first action that I'm going to do with whatever increase comes into my home, I'm not going to be a slave to impulse. Instead, I'm going to move in the opposite direction. I'm going to be generous with it. I'm going to dedicate it to God. And then the other 90%, you know what? Now it's got meaning and purpose behind it. It's got a new master. And it's not impulse. It's not Pharaoh. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I can point back to that moment in my life. That was the moment when the freedom really began. Right there. I'm so grateful for it. Some of you, that's what needs to happen. I'm not talking about a percentage. I'm not talking about any of that. You're a slave to impulse. You make way more. You got more, more than enough. More than you need, but never enough. I believe that this is what's happening in Deuteronomy 26. This is God's way of saying, listen, I rescued you from Pharaoh. I don't want you to be enslaved to a new master. The first thing we're going to do with whatever comes your way is we're going to move in the opposite direction. We're going to be generous. Same time, there's something else going on here. Y'all still out there? We still friends. Pastor Appreciation Month. Right? Something else going on here too, though, because I think what, what God is doing with the people here in Deuteronomy is also teaching them that, you know what? Simplicity is a good thing. Simplicity is a good thing. And actually enjoying what you have, you know what that comes from? Not from getting more than you need, but actually realizing that enough, y'all say with me, enough, enough is actually all you need. That's all you need. That's what's happening here. I mean, the thing about wealth and success, which I don't think any of those things are bad. I hope to be successful. I hope to be wealthy one day. Those things aren't bad. But here's the dangerous thing about it. Is that it seems like the more you and I accumulate, the less we appreciate. You can agree with me on that, can't you? It's like the more that we accumulate, the less we appreciate. And I think this practice of the tithe, you know what it's about? It's learning to embrace enough enough to actually enjoy what you have. And Proverbs says it like this in, verse, in, ch- in chapter 30. It says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now keep in mind who's writing this. Solomon. Solomon had way more than we did. He was the wealthiest man that ever lived. What did he learn? You know what this is? In in another book he wrote, you know what? It's vapor. It's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. You know where real joy is? Joy isn't enough. Don't give me poverty. Don't give me riches. Give me my daily bread. Give me enough. Because the more we accumulate, the less we appreciate. It's like, go back to when my wife and I first got married. We, We had to work a budget. We had to be very strict with our money. In fact, we were only allowed to go out to eat once a month. That's it. So people are like, hey, you want to go out to eat? And be like, well, who's paying for it, right? Because we go and go once. That's it. But you know, when we did go out to eat, it was such a big deal. I mean, you look forward to it all month, right? Then you go and you sit down and you marvel in the fact that you're sitting there and somebody else is waiting on you. Like they're bringing you your food. Isn't that incredible? Or then you get to pick out whatever it is that you want and you eat it and you savor it every moment. Now, now it's just something we do all the time. Halftime, we just sort of fall into it. 
we're too lazy, we're too bored, we're too busy, we just go out to eat, right? And then I find ourselves complaining about the service, not thinking the food is ever that good, and being miserable because my three kids are screaming the whole time, right? But do you see how this happens? It's like the more we get, the less we actually enjoy. Well, some of us have had the, the privilege to go overseas, to do mission trip, to work with people who live in at-risk situations who apparently have less than we do. But sometimes when you spend time with them, you almost walk away feeling jealous. You wonder, who, who, who's really the rich one here? I'll never forget building a one porta john outside a porta portable house, whatever, it was like a, you know, a bathroom outside of uh, this person's house. It was the only working bathroom in the entire village of this town in Mexico. And that whole village being so grateful for the fact that they had one bathroom. Man, who's rich? Sometimes I wonder. The more we accumulate, the less we appreciate. I think with this practice of the tithe, it's God saying, listen, I want you to be happy with enough. If you go back to, to what happens in Deuteronomy 26, every time the people bring a tithe before God, you know what he has them do? Did you catch it? They have to recite this liturgy, right? Where they say, my father was a wandering Aramean. You know what I'm talking about, the patriarchs. The fact that God took this tiny little family down into Egypt, made a huge nation out of them. Groom, big old nation. Not only that, when they were being oppressed by the Egyptians, what did God do? He rescued them. In an incredible way, he brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, and I, and I love six times throughout that liturgy, go back and read it, God reminds them that everything they have, you know what? It's a gift. It's a gift given to you by God. I wonder how much of our lives would change when it comes to our finances. I wonder how much in the, in the world would change if our fundamental posture towards the stuff that we had was first and foremost gratitude. To actually appreciate it, recognize it is gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. One more point. Can you handle one more point? The answer to that question is yes. Yeah, yes. God's also here. He's offering us an opportunity to participate with him, to be involved with him and what he's doing in the world. Did you notice where the tithe was supposed to go in Deuteronomy 26? It's in verse 12. Verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. The tithe was meant to go to provide for people who didn't have enough, or for whatever reason, couldn't provide for themselves. And God is calling the Israelites to do this because guess what? That's what he's like. He's a God who's generous. God loves everybody, but I believe God has a special place in his heart for the people who don't have enough. For whatever reason, they're oppressed, they're marginalized. God has a special place in his heart for those folks. And he asks us to give our excess to them. I love how Paul says in Corinthians, he says, your excess could be somebody else's necessity. You see why debt is so backwards to me? Many of us, we want to give, don't we? We want to give, we can't, our hands are tied. So our heart's saying, give, 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 but Visa's saying, pay, 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 right? That keeps us from back from being able to participate in what God is doing in the world. And I have found, and those of you who have done it too, that that's what the gift really is. Jesus was right when he said it's better to give than it is to receive. That actually being able to be like God, to do what God does, man, that's where it's at. Go back to that, my story I was telling you. I, I told you I filled out that form to have my tithe taken out of my paycheck. And the next day I, I went into church 
and I was serving as a youth pastor at the time. And the church I was at is one of the, it's one of the most influential churches in the United Methodist denomination. And the pastor there is a really influential guy. Um, but I hadn't met him at that point. I was working there for a couple of months. And they had a policy in place where when you first got hired there, for the first 90 days, you were on probation, which means that if for whatever reason it just doesn't work out, they would let you go. One of the reasons they would let you go is if you weren't tithing. And at that point, I had never met. His name was, I love his name. His name was Dr. Michael Slaughter. How do you like that for a pastor? He's a bit of an intimidating guy. Never met him. Never met him. Well, that morning, I get into my office. I'm unpacking all my stuff. And all of a sudden, I notice out of the corner of my eye, my office door opens up. Somebody comes in and sits down on the chair across from my desk. I turned around and looked. Guess who it was? Dr. Slaughter. He looks at me and he goes, he says, hey, I'm, I'm Mike Slaughter. It's really nice to meet you. I want you to know I've heard great things about you. We're so glad you're here. But I have to tell you, if you don't start tithing, we're going to have to let you go. I reached into my computer bag. I pulled out that form. And I was like, I was heading over to the office right now, right? And some of you are like, I can't believe that he did that. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm so glad that he did. And he went on to explain to me, you know what? As pastors, as leaders in the church, one of the hardest things we have to do, and it is really hard because I'm doing it right now for the first time, is talk to people about how they spend their money. For some reason, we are so resistant when it comes to this. And he told me, he said, you know what? I can't afford to have a staff who doesn't practice what they preach. Because we lose authority, we lose power when we don't. I'm so glad he did that. Because it was one of the first times in my life where I really felt like I was being who I claimed to be. You know, like how I lived and what I did with what I had actually matched up with what I claimed I believe. Church, that's how it's supposed to work. Our faith is meant to be incarnational. You know what that means? Embodied. That means what we believe is supposed to show up in how we live and what we do with what we have. Flesh and blood. But sadly enough, the church, we love to reduce it to a bunch of warm sentiments. A bunch of ideas that we'll argue for. We'll fight about it. We'll put it on the back of our car in a bumper sticker. But do we actually practice it? I mean, for example, Christmas time. Man, we will throw a fit. We will riot when Starbucks doesn't put Merry Christmas on their coffee cups. But then we'll go and celebrate Christmas just like everybody else by going into debt, spending a whole bunch of money on stuff we don't actually need. All the while, happy birthday, Jesus. I'm going to go buy a bunch of junk I don't need. Does that make any sense to you? Do you see why this matters? It's an opportunity to partner with God. And I hope, I hope more than anything. You know, I don't know what your action step is from this. My hope is that I'm inspiring you to get serious, to take a look at what you're doing with your money. At the same time, if you got debt, you need to start attacking that debt. I do hope that you'll start tithing if you haven't, or at least take a step towards it. And I'm not one to promise you that when you start doing that, a big fat check's gonna show up in the mail. More than likely, that won't happen. But I found that's not where the gift's at anyway. The gift is becoming like God. Turns out the reward for doing the right thing, you know what it is? Doing the right thing. Becoming the right kind of people. It's like when I watch that video with Emma, and I see this little girl who gets it already. Man, I want my kids to grow up that way. Providing for my kids, though, isn't just about paying for all their stuff and making sure they're involved in all the right activities. It's about giving them a worldview. We've got to practice what we preach, church, because disciples make disciples. Can I get an amen on that? So again, how do you respond to this? For some of us, we got to make a decision. For me, it started that night. I cut up my credit cards. Maybe that's what you need to do right now. Quit lying to yourself. Right? You don't have to live that way. God doesn't want you to live that way. Get serious about attacking that debt. Maybe for you, you need to start tithing. You start giving something. The average Christian, i got a reason to talk about this, right? The average Christian gives less than 2% of their income to anything involved in the church. It's a problem. 
I heard earlier, we spend more on Tabasco sauce monthly than we do give to the church on average. So we need to talk about this, right? What does it look like for you to move, move in that direction? So we need to make a decision. Second thing we need, we need to do is we need to work a plan. Right, when I got married, my wife got me on a budget. Budget meant that for the first time in my life, my money wasn't running my life, I was running it. We've got tools available to help you do that. Wednesday nights, we just started a class right here called Dollars and Cents. It's a budget class. It's free. Come check it out. It's great. It'll set you up then for what we're going to start in January, Financial Peace University, 12 weeks. Give you the tools you need to experience financial freedom. It's intense, but man, it will change your life. Lastly, all of us, you know what we need to do? We need to make a difference. How can we use what we have to advance what God's doing in the world? So do me a favor. Here's your action step. It's pretty simple. Pick up 50 bags on your way out and go fill that food pantry for those kids. All right? Shopping list is on them. Go do it. Go buy some groceries. Be generous. I promise you, you won't regret it. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the gift that we have in you, the fact that your gospel is good news for every area of our life. Give us the wisdom and the courage to respond to this, to do what we need to do. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.